well, last week we began talking about some of the moments that you just saw up there on the video. And maybe the best reason to come back is to see which clips are going to show up in that video from week to week. Because as we talked about last week, you probably recognize those moments, don't you? In fact, what you may even recognize more are those reactions to those moments. Because haven't we had those reactions? And those reactions, as we discussed last week, teach us something, not so much about the thing in front of us, the person in front of us, the situation in front of us. They really teach us something about ourselves. And the thing that they teach us about ourselves is that we are constantly out to be king and pursue our own kingdom. And when something in front of me, someone in front of me, some situation in front of me starts to steer me off course, I'll fight really, really hard to keep my kingdom intact, won't I? And won't we? And as, as we landed last week, we, we saw that Jesus and Satan were actually in the wilderness engaged in this back and forth. And the enemy, Satan, came to Jesus, and you know what he did? He tempted him. He tempted him when he was incredibly vulnerable, and he said, look, Jesus, you need, you need and you deserve to have your kingdom, your way. And he tempted him with provision and protection and power. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, because that's often what we fight for when it comes to the well-being of our kingdoms, isn't it? And, and the enemy, when he shows up, it's, it's a little difficult for us because he doesn't show up just saying, hey, I'm the devil and I'm here. And he doesn't show up the way he showed up for Adam and Eve as a snake in a garden with an apple. You know how he shows up? He says, here, take your kingdom. And he makes us feel like it's the right place for it. And it's the right time for it. And it's the right thing. And it's coming about in the right way. And you're the right person. And, and he says, take it. Take it. And what we learned last week is it's all a mirage. That the moments of our lives and the deserts of our lives, they present our kingdoms. And our kingdoms are a mirage. And so Jesus, armed with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, was able to cut right through it. And he was able to understand that our kingdoms are not reality if we've declared Jesus to be king. And so that's what we're talking about in the upcoming weeks, is that when we wake up in the morning, there is really a battle going on for two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's any kingdom outside of that. And today, specifically, today I want to look at one response that Jesus directs those who would follow him to, that if we could engage this one response every single time our kingdom is held out to us, you know what, we would actually go through today and do today a different way. And if we engage this one activity, I bet you and I would end today feeling a way different way than we usually feel about the day. And so in Matthew chapter 6, last week we were in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and what he's noticed is really this lack of peace in their lives, and he knows that there's a lack of peace in our lives, and he has this connect the dots moment, and he connects the dots for them and for you and I, and it has everything to do with how they were going about the things of the day. And so listen to this at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
In other words, there are some practices that look great on the surface. These are practices that you and I still think thousands of years later, that if I just engage in that, God will be happy with me. And my day should go great, or maybe not great, but maybe more smoothly. Maybe, maybe I'll get through the day more easily. And he gets into these. Verse 2, he says, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And then he, a handful of verses later, gets to another practice. Verse 16, this practice of fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But he also, in the middle of all those verses, gets to the thing that you and I do when our kingdoms take a hit. And when our kingdoms get affected, he turns to this activity. Verse 5, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Two verses later, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, in that day and in that culture, they had a different expression than you and I have today. Because for them, long and showy prayers and showy, just showing all the different spiritual disciplines they were, they were carrying out, to them, it was to draw attention to themselves. And so the way they did that is they just kept on going, and it was more words, and it was showy, and I need to make sure everybody sees that. Now, here's the thing. It's a little different for us because we have social media, and we love to be able, we can already show it. And we don't need to attract the attention because we already have attention on one another, don't we? Jesus might say to us, hey, when you give, don't, don't do it just for the tax benefit. Don't do it just for the IRS to see and the benefit you get. Yes, you do get a benefit when you, when you give, but don't do it for that reason. Or for fasting, he may say, hey, when you fast, that primary motive, don't do it because you're getting ready for the beach this summer. <laughs> or he may say to us, when you pray, when you pray, don't, and our issue is not long, showy prayers, is it? In fact, our issue, our expression of that issue is really the opposite. We rush through it. We, we run through our prayers. We hurry through our prayers. We say, hey, hey, dear God, give me. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, gimme. Because whose kingdom do we have in mind? Ours. Ours. And, and when we pray, it's easy to make it a 30-second deal so that we can check off the box at the beginning of the day, isn't it? Hey, God, I've acknowledged you. Just take care of this today and help me get through this today. And nothing wrong with that, but we rush through it to get on with what we need to get on with. See, we can take really, and really what Jesus is getting at here is you can carry out some very God-centered things in a very self-centered way. Is everybody in here familiar with the game of life? I mean the board game, board game of life. All right, so 
Milton Bradley in 1860, a man named Milton Bradley, you've probably heard that name. You think of it as a company. At one time, it was a person. Milton Bradley created originally this game, and it was called the Checkered Game of Life. And when the Checkered Game of Life came out, it was really all about virtue. Okay? There was a good path and there was a difficult path. And the good path was all about honesty and bravery and it was rewarded. And then there was the difficult path. And it was full of idleness. And it was full of fear. And it was full of stepping on others to get to the top. And what happened was, 100 years later, 1960, the company Milton Bradley released a commemorative edition of the Game of Life, and they revamped the whole thing. And gone were the virtues. It wasn't about that anymore. Now it was about get an education, get married, get a paycheck, have children, have a career, and then the, the last space on that version of the Game of Life was the Day of Reckoning. The day of reckoning, life's day of reckoning. And the way you won the game was if you arrived at the day of reckoning with the most money in the game. That's how you won the game of life. Well, about 30 years later, 1990, their marketing team realized, oh my goodness, the game originally was built on virtues, and now it's built on just material success. So they tried to reintroduce virtues into the game, and so they introduced um, like advocating for social causes. And so you could land on a space in the game and say you helped clean up um, or did something about pollution. You could take the path where you do something about pollution, and guess what? You get $10,000 for that. <laughs> or you could save an endangered species, and guess what? You got $20,000 for that. Now, we laugh, at what a company that makes a board game does, but I think they tapped into something in our human nature because I still remember the day as a child when I, I got my monthly allowance and uh, there came a day I wasn't happy with my monthly allowance. And I decided I need to talk to mom and dad about this. And how do you think that went? Well, you'll find out. So <laughs> my way of talking about them was not directly talking to them. You know what I did? I went, okay, over the next month, you know, my current chores were like mowing the lawn, take out the trash. I was like, you know what, if I mow the lawn and take out the trash and vacuum and be nice to my sister, they can't help but double my allowance. And so allowance day came, hoping they'd notice. I got handed the exact same allowance that I got every single month. And I said, hey, did you notice all these other things I was doing? And they said, oh, yeah, that's great. I said, well, don't I get a reward for that? And they said, your reward is you live here. That's it. <laughs> That is your reward, Nathan. <laughs> there is something in all of us that even if it's a God-centered activity, we can go about it very self-centered. And Jesus, by, that's the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. By the end of Matthew chapter 6, Matthew is not pointing at the activities that they're going about through their day. He's talking about something else going on throughout the day. And it's something that thousands of years later, you and I still get it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Sorry, verse 32 says this. No, 25. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? It is no accident that Jesus, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, what's he addressing? It's this self-centered, self-focused manner of engaging God-centered things. And by the end of Matthew chapter 6, he's engaging this issue that by nature is very self-centered. He says, look, you've, you've hurried through or you've gone your way about everything that you do and the end result is worry about your life. In fact, if you were to read the Greek for the word worry, you know what it would say? Fractured. Is it not true that we can walk through life and it can kind of feel like a fractured experience? And the reason it feels fractured is because we get up in the morning and we've got two different kingdoms that are battling. And we have this really, really difficult time reconciling those two. And what Jesus is getting at is this thing that we have to be reminded of. When I hurry through prayer, I worry through life. Hurried prayers make worried lives. Many of you are probably familiar with the, the college basketball coach, John Wooden. John Wooden is considered one of the greatest coaches of all time. And John Wooden, for years and years and years, tried and tried and tried to make it to college basketball's elite level, a national championship, and he would come up just short. And he tried and tried and tried to figure it out, and then when he figured it out, he figured it out. In the span of 11 years, he won 10 his teams won 10 national championships. Now, you'd think a coach of that caliber, of that level, finally figured out some crazy complex system and methodology to doing all this, but his foundation was very simple. You want to know what his foundation was? He started every single season with one foundation, and it was much simpler than we think. Socks. Socks. The first practice of every single season, he taught every single one of his teams. He had um, a guy named Lou Alcindor that we later knew as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, some of the greatest to ever play the game. He sat down and he taught them how to put socks on. Because he said, if you hurry through the process of putting on your socks, you know what happens? You take thousands of steps in a basketball game. And if you put those socks on and there is a wrinkle, if it bunches up at all, times thousands of steps, what do you have by the end of the game? A blister. You have a blister. He said, look, if you hurry through putting your socks on, you're going to have a lot to worry about later. And you're not going to help the team. You're not going to help yourself. You're not going to be of help to anybody. When we hurry through prayer, we worry through life. And so it's important for us to see on the heels of all the conversation about worry what Jesus says to them. 
in verse 32. Now we're at verse 32, all right? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need them. Did you know that he knows? And this statement actually calls us back to the beginning of the chapter where he's discussing how we do and how we go about what we go about. That those God-centered activities, maybe they could actually be God-centered activities, especially our prayer. Here's what he says in verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know that, that full slate of checkboxes that you've got to check off this week? Yeah, he knows. And I have days where I wake up and I just think to myself, Nathan, you know how you're in a rush to get through some time with your heavenly father because you got to get to the next and the next and there's this appointment and I'm already late. He knows. He knows. What if you knew that God already knows? What if you knew that God already knows your needs? I mean, isn't that just, okay, somebody knows. This is why we seek out a listening ear when we're going through things, right? We just need somebody to know. I was reminded of this this winter. Many of you know our five-year-old Lincoln. Lincoln showed up one night, middle of the night, woke me up. And have you ever, do your kids have the, it's the scream whisper, I call it, where they, they might as well just scream in your ear? He's like, Dad! Dad! Yes, Lincoln. It's snowing. Oh, that's great, buddy. Just go back to bed. He said, the snowflakes are waking me up. It's like, they're not. They're not rocks, Lincoln. They're snowflakes. He said, I can't sleep. And I finally, I I understood what Jesus is saying here. Because you know what I said? Does mommy know? (laughs) I found out that's not recommended. (laughs) But I said, does mommy know? No. No. I'll go tell her. (laughs) And guess what? As soon as I knew she knew, I turned right over and I slept the night away. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it with your spouse. But you can do that with your Heavenly Father. Because your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Before you even ask, you know what that means? It means I don't have to hurry and you don't have to hurry through our prayers. Those God-centered activities, we don't have to go about in a self-centered way. Because if you know, and I know, that our Heavenly Father already knows what we need, then we are free, we are liberated to pray like Jesus prays. And we can pray how Jesus prays. And we can pray for what Jesus prays for. And so, for a few minutes, what I want to do is I want us to walk through, in the very next verse, Jesus says, this, then, is how you should pray. And it's a prayer that you've heard, 
And it's a prayer that you've likely recited, but it's a prayer that we have focused on knowing the what so much that maybe, maybe, maybe we've forgotten the how of it. It's a simple prayer. You'll likely recognize it from a wedding, from a funeral, from a church service somewhere, or maybe you've just read it. But instead of hurrying through this prayer, I want us to step through this because it has some big, big, big meaning and implication for every single one of us in here. He says this then in verse nine is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is the part of the prayer that I think we, we sprint through. We think, dear God, now let's get to me. Dear God, and we rush through it and we hurry through it because I need to ask for some things. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, it means holy. It means so big. It means so majestic. It means so beyond. It means creator. It means so separate from. I mean, think about it. There are people in this world that because they are so good at what they do, because of some area of success in one area of their life, and if they're really, really good, maybe two or three, they get, they get bodyguards around them, and they hire people to keep them separate from people, and you and I will probably never get shoulder to shoulder with them because they've done so well in one or two or three areas. And the God of the universe, who has done so, so, so well, and that's an understatement, in everything, You know what he invites you to call him? Father. Father. He's Father in heaven, far away. He's holy. But the word Father, you know what that means? Intimate. Gentle. Near. With. Kind. Tender. Close. Caring. But it means authority as well. I think... And I know, actually, because I've experienced that the longer we can sit with this part of the prayer, the smaller everything else gets in our lives. But if you and I hurry through this part, you know what happens? We worry about everything else. And then he moves into another part of the prayer that we're still not to us yet. What's, what's the first word of that next verse? What is it? Your. 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 Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is so hard. Because when I wake up in the morning, I have my kingdom in mind. But here's what I like to do. I like to think that because God is with me, that his kingdom looks just like my kingdom. And my kingdom looks just like his kingdom. And so what I do is I go, huh, God, you and I see things the same way. And we've got the same perspectives. So when I say your kingdom come, I'm really hoping and I'm picturing, I'm envisioning my kingdom come. And God, help me do battle against all the people that would attack my kingdom and my preferences and my desires and my will and what I want to see happen and my outcomes. Jesus says, no, it's your kingdom come. 
And when we look back, isn't it true that some things in our kingdom that we wanted so badly for our kingdom at some point in life, when it didn't work out, doesn't there come a point, not in every area, but in some areas where you look back and you go, I'm so glad that didn't work out. I am so glad that didn't work out. Because you understand on a deep level that maybe, just maybe, even though there was a no to something in my kingdom, he somehow used it to advance his kingdom. And after just two lines, just two lines, we're already in a different place than we usually go about prayer, aren't we? Instead of hurrying through it, this is a lot different because this is taking the time to understand all that he is and everything he is and understanding that everything you are, God, deserves everything I've got. God. And this keeps me from hurrying through my prayer. And now, now that we're in that place, now we can get to the next part. Give us. Gimme. Gimme, 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 gimme. Give us today our daily bread. And the Jewish people at that time, they would have understood this because they immediately would have thought, to their ancestors in the desert who were fed daily bread. And it wasn't days of bread. In fact, God said, if you try to gather days of bread, guess what happens? Do you remember what happened? It's spoiled. It's not days of bread. It's daily bread because this was not an independence, their own independence issue. This was a dependence issue. And this is the understanding that in light of your kingdom, Father, I will take what you give me for today and I will trust that that is exactly what you've designated and exactly what I'm supposed to have from your hand. Give us today our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, we really like part one of that, that statement, don't we? Oh yeah, part one's really fun. But did you notice the tense of the language there? Present tense, forgive us. Past tense, as we have forgiven. This one line should probably cause us to be on our knees a little bit longer, shouldn't it? That one line should probably cause me to think through where, where are things off between me and somebody else. And we should not get off our knees until we've decided in our hearts, even if it hasn't physically happened yet, if we haven't said the words, I'm going to let it go. He knows it's difficult, but do I intend to forgive them? Can I do that? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And finally, and lead us not into temptation because we are so good at finding temptation all by ourselves. I can find it really, really easily. Every single one, it's like we got a radar. We just know where it's at. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you want to know why Jesus could pray this prayer? Because of that desert he was in that we talked about last week. Because Jesus knew he didn't have to compromise his relationship with our heavenly father to get a kingdom that was just a mirage. That was being held out to him saying it's the right place, it's the right thing, at the right time, in the right way, and you're the right person. Jesus understood, you don't have to do 
any of that. And you know what he discovered? His father delivered him. He didn't compromise any of the relationship, and he got everything that was promised. There was provision, there was protection, and he received God's power. Now, as we walk through this prayer, notice nobody came in here and reassured you that all of your kingdom needs are going to be taken care of, and my kingdom, it's all going to work out. Nobody came in and said that. But what we did is we just didn't hurry through our prayer. And there's something about that that just makes you go, well, I don't have to worry about the rest of my life. And when you've been liberated from that, then we can do the thing that Jesus ends Matthew chapter 6 with. Verse 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Wow. When I hurry through prayer, I worry through life. But if I could just pause and take some time, well, that changes everything. And so here's what I want to do. We have communion tables set up around the sanctuary, and we're going to end today with the time. I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to play while um, I just invite you to come up and grab the elements and don't take them yet. Take them back to your seat. And once everybody has sat down, we'll take communion. But would you take some time during communion to reflect on our Heavenly Father? Maybe spend that time in prayer, not needing to hurry through it, but to acknowledge who He is and all He is and what He did on our behalf at the cross. And so as they play, take a few moments, come get the elements, and then we'll take it all together at the end. Would you take a moment to reflect on just who our Heavenly Father is? That He's so big, that He's so majestic, that He's so holy, that part of His plan for His kingdom was relationship with us. So to do so, the body of His Son was broken on a cross to forgive us of anything that would separate us from him. Let's take the bread together in remembrance of that. And at the same time, his blood was also spilled for the forgiveness of our sins so that we would be delivered from the evil one and free to live for a kingdom so much greater than our own. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of that. Will you pray with me? Father, Father in heaven, as, as it said in Isaiah 6, and the angels say, holy, holy, holy is your name write that deeply on our hearts, Lord, as we walk through our week. And for some of us, that may be the only line of prayer we get out this week, and let us sit there with that. Let us not rush through our week and rush through our prayer so much that the worry of our lives reflects the chasing of another kingdom outside of yours. Remind us of who you are. 
holy is your name. And let us truly wake up each day desiring your kingdom to come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And once we have that perspective, Heavenly Father, let us trust and be reminded that the daily bread you give us is straight from you and you know. You know our needs. Remind us of that. Thank you for the reminder of the forgiveness of our sins. Let us be reminded to turn and do that for one another. And as we already prayed, deliver us from the evil one, from all the temptation of our kingdoms that we want to chase. Remind us, let us see it for what it really is, a distraction from you, so that we can walk through every single day as a building block of your kingdom and truly look at each day and do today a different way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.